So uh, open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy. We're going to, you know, we've had a a couple weeks where we've had other speakers, but I'd like to dive right back into this uh, theme that the Lord put us on a few weeks back, which was the idea of him filling the city with his people and his people stepping up into places and, and positions that God's put them in and influencing the sphere that you're in. Right? The, the Apostle Paul said that I'm, he said, I, I, he said, I'm not going to go beyond the sphere that's been a, appointed to me. So what's a sphere? It's that circle around you, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, There's a, there is an area around me that I know God's called me to, to touch and influence. And he says, I'm not trying to step into somebody else's sphere. I, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be where God called me to be. But I'm going to touch the people and I'm going to influence the people in the sphere that God's apportioned to me. And he said that sphere gets bigger with relationships that God's built and and the faith that they have, the faith that we have. He enlarges your sphere as you're faithful in what God's given you. He enlarges that, right? So you don't have to be an apostle to believe that. We are all put in an area where God has said, this is the sphere you're in. This is the area I've apportioned to you. How are you influencing right now the people I've put you in contact with, the, the area I've placed you in? And it's important that you take some spiritual authority over that, that you consider that that's your assignment, right? You know, if you were in the military and they said, hold this ground, that's, you don't need to worry about what they're doing over in France. You don't need to worry about what they're doing over here. You need to hold the ground that you've been placed on. That's the important point for you. And what everybody else is doing is not your issue. Your issue is, what has God called me to? Now, we do want to encourage one another, help one another, intercede for one another. So in that sense, we do care about other people uh, where God's called them. But your first responsibility is to say, what have I been called to do? Where am I supposed to be? And when the master comes back and says, what did you do with the talents I gave you? Will I be able to say, I, I invested it and here's your return? Or will we be those that hid it for fear that we'd have messed something up? That's the parable of the talents that Jesus told. You may not know this, but even our English word talents, like if we do a talent show, and it, it, all, our English word talents comes from that parable. The parable was about money that the master gave to three different servants. He gave a lot to one, a medium amount to another, and a small amount to the other one based on their track record. Not, not, it wasn't a social experiment. It was based on what they'd done before. So he says, to the one who's been faithful over little, I'll make you ruler over much. If you've been faithful in what God called you to, he'll give you more. So he gave them these, this money, and he said, I want you to do something with it. Make me some money. I'm going away on a trip. Make me some money. So the guy that got the, the large amount of money, what happened? He invested it, and he got a large amount back. The guy that got a medium amount of money invested it, got a medium amount back. But he comes to the guy who got the little amount, and he says, what'd you do with it? And the guy said, well, I know that you are really good at what you do. In fact, you seem to harvest where you haven't even sown. Now, that's not true, but that's what he thought. You know, he says, you seem to make money even when you're not even trying. So he says, I was afraid I'd lose your money. So I buried it in the ground, and here's your money back. And I truly believe this guy expected that the master would be happy that he didn't lose something. I want you to just be aware of the fact 
that God is not going to say, good job, you didn't lose what I gave you. He's going to say, did you do something with what I gave you? God is not asking you not to lose. He's asking you to take some ground. So if we have a defensive, I just don't want to mess up attitude, we'll never do anything for the kingdom of God. It's going to take risk, right? So I I think I mentioned this before. Um, We were in a gathering of ministers and we had somebody come, just young ministers. We went off to Canmore and just spent some time praying together in uh, some cabins over there. It's easy to pray in Canmore, you know. <laughs> you're surrounded by mountains, you're in nice condos. So, you know, we were praying together and seeking the Lord. And, um, you know, in this time, we also invited, you know, so we always would invite an elder, uh, preacher, minister to come and just pour out in us some things. And so we're, we're talking about the parable of the talents. He said, you guys need to take some risks. You guys are too cautious about things. And I said, well, let, let me ask you a question. Why didn't Jesus include a guy who invested and then lost it? I mean, he, he, he told a guy who invested a lot and got a lot back, invested medium amount and got a lot back, and a guy that didn't invest at all, he just buried it in the ground. I said, I wish there was another guy in the story who invested and then just lost it all because I want to see what Jesus would say to him. And he go, and so the, the man I asked the question of said this, he goes, I think what the Lord is saying in this is that as long as you are pouring yourself into his kingdom, you're doing what he called you to do. In the long run, you might feel like you're losing a little here and there, but in the long run, you're going to come out ahead. Nobody loses by trusting God. Nobody loses by taking a risk by faith. So I want you to, to, to look at with me in First uh, Timothy. And uh, in this short time that we have together, I want to just... Talk about the, the, the things that God's put in your path and, and the gifts that God's put inside of you and the call that he has on your life. And um, talk about the fight that's involved. And we may pick this up again next week. If we don't finish today, we'll, we'll pick it up again. But for right now, I just want to maybe plant some seeds in your own heart. Because whether you like it or not, you've not been called to an audience right? You haven't been called to clap for the people who are doing something for the Lord. Now, we do rejoice with those who rejoice, but that's, at some point, you got to pick up your own responsibility and say, well, what am I supposed to do here? I'm supposed to do more than just watch everybody else do something for Jesus. God's called me too. He's put something in me that, that other people don't have, you know, and, and that doesn't mean I'm a, I'm a rogue renegade who just goes and does my own thing. No, we're called to work together just as your body parts work together. And we have, there's submission involved in that. There's authority and ultimately submission to the head who is Christ. But at the same time, there, there's a part you play. The Bible says that the body only grows when the parts are functioning in their proper roles. So the kingdom of God is only going to grow numerically and internally in maturity by us doing each what we're called to do, right? That's the way it works. You, know, you can't just have a hand do everything. You can't just have an eye do everything. You need different parts. And so you're sitting here today, and you may not even be aware of what you bring to the table, but you bring something. You bring something that I don't bring. And I might be the mouth here today, but just try going a day doing everything with your mouth and see how that goes. 
doesn't work. You know, and another day I might play a different part. We all have these different parts, and, and uh, if, we're, if we're functioning as a body, then those parts are going to complement one another. One thing the Bible says is that whatever gift God's given you, Peter writes this, as each one of us has received a special or unique gift, hear that word unique, that means we all look different, and that's a good thing, right? As each one of us has received a unique gift, employ it in serving one another. Your gift is not to exalt you. Your, your gift is not to make you greater. Your gift is not supposed to just push you forward in the ladder or up the ladder or further in the kingdom. Your gift is for serving one another. So if you can't find a way that what God put in you serves other people, then, you're, then you don't understand what God put inside of you. You know what I mean? So if God gave you a great voice and you just say, this gift is going to bring me before great people. I think this gift that God put in me is going to bring me to the top of my career. It's going to do all this. Then you're probably missing the point of that gift. Now, God may put you in front of the prime minister. God may call you to win a singing competition. But ultimately, the gift is to serve the body, to serve the kingdom. It's to serve others. It's not, the you know, here's the thing. It's not a gift to you. Mind you just need to adjust this mic, it's a bit hot. The gift is not a gift to you. That's the one thing we gotta get. If you got a gift of preaching, you got a gift to sing, got a gift to encourage, got a gift to give, whatever these gifts are, it's not a gift that God gave to you. It's a gift that God put in you to give to the church. And by the church, I don't mean the word church, I mean the body of Christ. And that'll serve the world. That'll win the world. So he says, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold, all-encompassing, all shapes, all sizes, grace of God. So the grace of God is working in all of us, and it looks different in all of us. I've been given a grace to pastor. I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't do this no matter how well-trained or educated someone is. You can't do this without the, without the strength of God. But it goes on and says, whoever speaks must speak as the oracle of God. You better get up there and say what God says. Whoever serves must serve in the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ. Isn't that awesome? The only way that God is glorified is if we say, whatever I've been called to do, I can't do it by myself. But today we want to talk about the warfare that's involved because there's a fight. There's a fight over what God's called you to. There's a fight over the gift that God put in you. There's a fight to keep you from doing what God called you to do. I want to say two things about the gifts that God's placed inside of you. Number one, Satan can't steal the gift that God put in you. And number two, God won't take back the gift that he put in you. Because the Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So God will not take back a gift that he's placed in you. Now, can you disqualify yourself for a while? Can you step out? Yes, you can. But God didn't take the gift from you. So if Satan can't steal it and God won't take it, the only way the enemy will get you to stop using that gift or will keep, you, keep that gift from being functional is to get you to voluntarily give it up. It's the only way he can do it. If he can get you to give up what God put in you, then he doesn't have to take a thing. You'll voluntarily give it up. And we want to talk about some of those things that, are going to, that cause people to give up what God put inside them or neglect, as Paul says to Timothy, neglect what's inside of them because neglect is as good as giving up. Yeah. If you neglect something, it, it'll die. 
even if it doesn't die, it won't be of any use to you. You know, we've, I've been, I've been in, in certain areas where a tractor had been sitting for, you know, 15 years in the same spot. That tractor might have been worth some money at some time. That tractor might be valuable, but it's doing nobody any good sitting in a field. Right? It doesn't matter how valuable the tractor is. It doesn't matter how, how good it does its job. If it's sitting in a field abandoned, it's not doing anybody any good. So First Timothy, and I want to go to verse 18, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. We'll talk about that shipwreck later, but let's just stop for a minute. He's talking about prophecies made over Timothy. Now, what were those prophecies about? Well, if we keep reading these two letters, you come to understand these prophecies have to do with what Timothy's called to do. Now, everybody in the room has had an opportunity to hear from God about what you're supposed to do. And it might not have been somebody with a microphone prophesying over you, but I guarantee God has spoken to you. You might not have been listening. Somebody else might have said it. God might have used other things to speak to you. Or he might be speaking to you right now. But God wants to speak to you and reveal some things to you. It may not all come at once. In fact, it never, almost never comes all at once. You know why it doesn't all come at once? Because if God gave you the destination from where you are right now, you would take a diagonal line, the shortest route to get there, and that may not be the best way to get there. So he wants to take you on his path to get there. And uh, sometimes that means not telling you everything, giving you glimpses, giving you pieces. As you press into him, as you, as you continue in your faithfulness and continue in intimacy with God, then you begin to discover more things. I've said this to many people, and I truly believe with all my heart, and it's one of those reasons why we'll take anybody that wants to come with us to these missions trips, to these, these, these outreaches, because I truly believe almost everybody I've ever met that's doing something big for God didn't know they were called to it until they started doing something. Like, start serving in some area. If, you got, if you're here this morning and you go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, start serving in some area, and these things, will, you'll find out some things that God put in you. Put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord. Put yourself in a position because here's what we do. We want, and I used this example a couple weeks ago, but we want God to just completely assure us and give us the blueprint of everything that's going to happen while we're in the boat and then we'll step out. But you need to just step out of the boat and trust that when your foot hits the water, something's going to happen. Right? And so this is, this is and, and based on the command of the Lord. So put yourself in a position where God can speak and God can show you some things. And sometimes you just show up and you say, I'm here to serve. And you, you serve where you're needed. And, and it's maybe not what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. But you were a blessing. People were a blessing to you. But other times as you're doing it, suddenly you discover, man, as I was praying for that kid, I didn't realize that God could use me in that way, but as soon as I did, something inside me just lit on fire. I think I should do more of that. So you start doing more of that. You know, as they, as they made me come up and, and, and sing a song, I didn't know I ever could sing a, a carry a tune in a bucket. I didn't know I could do that. But as I started singing a song, wow, there was something that, that lit up in me. I, maybe I'm supposed to pursue that. You know, God will use these things in your life. 
Very, very rarely are you going to be sitting at home and just get a full plan of what you're supposed to do with your life. It'll happen in pieces. Sometimes you'll just be worshiping God and you get a glimpse and you press towards it. Sometimes it's prophecy made over you. You know, I've had several prophecies in my life, some which I had to just put on the shelf and some which I had to press into. And, and they, were, they were important to me. Uh, but if I hadn't set time aside to pray through these things, let me tell you, it doesn't matter who called you up front and talked to you. If you're not willing to pray through it, if you're not willing to press into what God's saying, it won't matter what they said. God's not going to just, just chuck you into something. You've got to choose it. You've got you to press in. You've got you to move into him. So he says, there have been prophecies about you, concerning you. Some people said some things about you and about what you were called to do. Now what you need to do is you need to fight a good fight with these things. Another translation, I believe it's the King James, says you need to wage good warfare. There's a fight right now for the things God's called you to do. There's a fight right now. You're in a fight right now, no matter who you are. I'm in a fight. You're in a fight. We're having to fight for what God called us to do. You got to fight for what God said over you. You got you to gotta wage warfare here. So it's going to take you planting your feet in something. It's going to take you holding on to something. It's going to take you taking some blows and, and, and putting some back. And if you're not willing to do that, then you can have a comfortable, safe life. And at the end of the day, they'll put on your tombstone, he was a nice guy. But you might not hear the well done, good and faithful servant that you want to hear. But if you're like me, that's not enough. It's not enough to just say at the end of his life, he was a nice man. I want to, be, I want to, I want to know that I did something for the Lord. And, and you know what? Some, God may have called you to something that no human on the planet will recognize how big it is until you get to heaven. Amen. The Bible straight up says that. This says there are parts of the body that don't get honor. People don't look and say that's important. But he says God bestows more abundant honor on them. So there are people that are at the award ceremony of heaven are going to get more crowns than me, more crowns than you, and we're going to go, what, them? Because they, they just toiled away doing something no one else wanted to do that didn't have any glory attached to it, that didn't have any credit attached to it, but they did it for the kingdom of God, and he exalted them. Now I want you to keep going with me. To chapter 4. In chapter 4, he says this in verse 12. Now, he's already told them, and there are some things that if we had more time, we'd really dive into. But he, he tells them, here's some things that are going to sidetrack you. Because we, we're, we talked about the shipwreck of the faith, right? How... Some people had shipwrecked their faith and their good conscience. They, 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 had, they were called to something and they just, they crashed. And it was based on some things that they allowed to shipwreck them in, in the case that he speaks of. And one thing, we'll, we'll tackle that later. Just first of all, let's go to this. He tells them, watch your doctrine, watch what you're preaching, pay attention to what you're teaching. Watch your attitude about money, watch your attitude about women, watch your attitude about all these things. Then he says this. In verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. 
until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Well, the presbytery was, you know, a group of elders, a group of believers that had some position in his life to say some things. And as they laid their hands on him, commissioning him into the role of what we assume was pastoring the church in Ephesus, he's still reminded to stir up the gift within him and not neglect it. Now, I want you to pay attention to that because it's important. He was already pastoring, but he still could neglect the gift that was in him. Sometimes we mistake a role that we're playing with walking in the grace that's been given to us. We say, well, you know, I'm doing it. I'm showing up on Sunday. I'm teaching the children. But are you walking in the grace that God calls you to teach those children? Are you relying on the Spirit of God? Are you neglecting the gift that's within you? And here's what he's saying. He says, Timothy, the first thing he has to say to him is, you know, people might look down on you, but don't let that happen. And, and honestly, for two reasons. Number one is if they're looking down on you, they're not going to be able to receive from you. Because his job is to teach them, exhort them. Well, if he can't get over the fact that I'm young and you're old, then he's going to have a problem teaching these people. But I think something that's even bigger than that is Timothy's view of himself. Am I too young to do this? Because often that's the issue, isn't it? I mean, how many times that we go, you know, it's really not about what people think about us. It's what we think they think about us. That's the problem. I mean, really, if people thought about you as much as you think they think about you, (laughs) right, then you might as well be on the cover of People magazine. I'm just, this is a wake-up call to us, but people don't think about you as much as you think they do. When you walk in a room, they're not obsessed with you. They're not thinking, how dare they walk with like that? How dare they wear that? How dare they speak? People aren't thinking that. But you know what? The enemy wants you to think they are. Because if he can get you so wrapped up and focusing on yourself instead of focusing on the one who called you, then you'll find 15 different reasons to disqualify yourself. This is why I can't do it. This is why I shouldn't do it. This is why they're right. You don't know they're right. They never told you it. They never told you I can't listen to you because you're an idiot. But you think they're saying that? Jeremiah said, Lord, I can't, I can't do what you're telling me to do. Well, Jeremiah, that's a real dumb thing to say to God. Don't ever say that to God. God, you're wrong, and I'll tell you why. It's just a silly move, right? But he does it. He says, Lord, how could I do that? He says, I can't. I'm a youth. I'm too young to speak to your people. And God says, don't ever say that. It says, don't ever say I'm a youth, for where I tell you to go, you'll go. What I tell you to say, you'll say. You see what God does? God is really good at this. Of course, right? He's God. <laughs> you see what he does, though? He takes the attention off Jeremiah. So often when we're trying to encourage one another in the Lord, we say, no, you're a good preacher. No, you're a good singer. No, you're a good prayer. No, you're a good, oh, you know, you look great. You know what we do we, we, is their problem is how they view themselves, and we think we're building them up by talking about them a little bit more. But that's not usually the answer. Look how God addresses Jeremiah's self-esteem issues. He doesn't say, no, Jeremiah, you're a smart boy. You've always been mature for your age. I mean, you've always been a leader in your class. Your mom loves you. 
You know, he doesn't say anything like that. What does he say? Jeremiah, don't ever say I'm a youth again. That's the last time I'm going to let you make that excuse. You get one. That's it. He says, where I tell you to go, you're going to go. What I tell you to say, you're going to say. And later on, he goes and says, my word will not return. I'm watching over my word. You don't need to make sure my word happens. You just say it. I'll make sure it happens. So you see, what God does is takes Jeremiah's self-esteem issues and takes his attention off Jeremiah and puts his attention back on God. Where I tell you to go, you'll go. What I tell you to say, you'll say. And I'm taking care of my own word. So stop babysitting me, Jeremiah. Stop worrying about whether or not you can do it because it's not about you. Of course you can't do it. I could have I made that sermon, could have made it all about this today. Of course you can't do it. <laughs> you know, for every excuse, you know what, every excuse you've ever made, you're right. No, you can't do this. But I'll tell you, through Christ, you can. By yourself, of course you can't. If we're talking about you, of course you're not qualified. But through Christ, you are more than qualified. And as Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If someone were to say to me, Jonathan, what is it about you that makes you a pastor? I'd say, it's not a lot about me. It's all about Jesus. It's about the fact that he called me. That's, That's why I'm a pastor. I'm not a pastor because I got certain grades in school or because I was good at this or good at that. I'm a pastor because God called me to be a pastor. Now, did I have to work? Yeah. As Paul said, his grace toward me was not in vain, for I worked harder than everybody else. But it was not me working. It was the grace of God working within me. There might be some work you got to put in. There might be some diligence, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But what does he say to Timothy? He said, don't let anybody look down on you. Be an example. But then he says, don't neglect the gift that's within you. And that's really the issue in the church today is not that we don't have enough people who are gifted. It's that people are neglecting what God put in them. And often it's, you know what, honestly, sometimes pride shows up in two different ways. Either you think you're the greatest person the planet's ever seen or you think you're the dumbest person the planet's ever seen. It's both pride because it's both self-centered. Right? It's just different forms of the same, it's different sides of the same coin. So what you got to say is, it's not about me, it's about him. And I am who I am, and I'm called to this because he called me. So I'm going to get over me, and I'm going to focus on him. Then he says, so don't neglect this gift. Don't neglect it. If you neglect it, it'll do nobody any good. If you just pretend it's not there, if you leave it alone. Listen, you guys all know parents in the room. You neglect a child, that baby's not going to feed themselves. Right? You can't, I mean, that you need to take care of that thing. Now, I don't want to compare the gifts of God to a baby, but I'm telling you, neglect is not like you're, you hate it. Neglect is not like you're actively trying to hurt this thing, but if you just leave it and don't think about it, that's neglect. Mm-hmm. Don't neglect what God put inside you. Now, here's part of the problem is that sometimes, and I've said this so many times before, but bear with me. Sometimes we have a view of what God has called us to and we're looking at the end. So I've used this example before, but, you know, you picture yourself preaching in front of thousands. So you're waiting till someone invites you to preach in front of thousands. And I hate to be the one that breaks this to you. That's not going to happen where you are right now. Nobody's just going to come up to you and go, I got 5,000 people. Can you, are you free? 
I don't know you, but it could happen. But if God called you to preach, then how am I going to use that gift right now with where I am right now? So if you're working on the oil rig and you don't have the guts to preach to the guys that are working with you, what makes you think you're going to be able to preach to 5,000 people? So you know what you need to do? Don't condemn yourself and say, you're right, I don't have the guts, I can't preach in front of five. No, say I can through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to practice what God put in me. I'm going to start with, I'm going to be faithful in the little things. So what's the little things? I'm, I'm, all right, I'm going to preach to the two people that are listening to me right now. And if I preach to the two people, then at some point God's going to put you in a position where you're preaching to 15. And before long, you're preaching in front of 50. Then before long, you're preaching, you're, 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 giving a, you're sharing something in front of the church or whatever. And then, you know, before you know it, you're in a position where you're standing in front of people and you go, how did I get here? And it was because you were faithful with what God gave you. He did not give everybody, and this is a newsflash to the people. This is a newsflash to us in 2017 because we think differently. But let me just tell you something. Jesus did not give everybody the same amount of money. He didn't give everybody, he didn't say, I want to be fair. Jesus doesn't care if you think he's fair. He's just. He really doesn't care if you think he's fair. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> A little tense here. <laughs> what happened? Jesus took the money that that guy had buried in the ground and he gave it to somebody who'd do something with it. If that guy had invested the little he had, God would give him more. Amen. If you're faithful in little, I'll make ruler over much. So what do you do? You're faithful with what you have right now. Start doing something what you have right now and God will grow that and he'll make it bigger. He'll exalt you if you humble yourself. But don't expect that it's all just going to happen at once. So sometimes we despise the little things. Here's the problem. We all want harvest, but we, we despise the seeds. But everything God does starts in seed form. The kingdom is a seed that's planted and it grows into something big. So, you know, God, God always starts something with a seed. And the problem is we look at a seed and go, that's not going to feed me. That won't feed my family. It's too small. Yeah, but if you put it in the ground, it'll grow into something bigger. So the issue is, stop despising the seeds because you want the harvest and start honoring the seed so that you will see a harvest. So start looking forward, some of you. Let me just use it as an example. My father, the first congregation he ever preached to, the first church ever would listen to him was preaching in seniors' care homes. As he did that, Half of them were not even paying attention. <laughs> Half of them had not, I mean, Sister Tina knows what I'm talking about. Some of you go and minister, you go and minister to the, to the, at, at the seniors' homes. And boy, is that an awesome thing. But if you're above that, I've heard people say, well, I'm not just, I'm just not called to children's ministry. Why not? I just don't like kids. They're just little people, you know, you got to. But if you're too good to preach to the kid, teach the children, and yet you want, you want to have a place up here and say, well, when are you going to let me take a Sunday? Why? You're too good for the kids? What makes you think that, you, that you're not too good for the rest of us? You know, those kids are precious to the Lord. So, you know, we just start with the little things. Start with what God gave you and then work with that. Now, I want you to move on with me. 
And we'll, we'll kind of spend the rest of our time here. In 2 Timothy... He says this in chapter 1. He says, he talks about Timothy's mom and his grandmother who had faith and believed and taught him well. Then he says this. He says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline or a sound mind. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now let's just stop and just think about this. Kindle afresh the gift of God that's within you. So we went from the first letter where he said, don't neglect the gift. Now what is he saying? He says, stir it up. Here's the good news. Maybe you let the fire go out on something God's put inside you. Maybe you let it go down. The good news is this. I grew up with campfires, as many of you did. And I know the one thing is this. I know what it's like to start a campfire. It's fun to start a campfire. But I know even when it gets down to coals, and those coals are just glowing and there's no fire, it's easier to restart the fire with those coals than it was to start it in the first place, right? You got to poke them a little. You got to put some fresh stuff on, but, but it's hot there. There's something still there. So what we're having to do is we're having to kindle afresh, restore up some of these things that are within us. You have to fight for them. You got to fight your own feelings of inadequacy because the enemy will attack you in the point you're called to. So if you are called to be an encourager, do you know what he's going to try to do to you? Discourage you. You're called to be a giver. He's going to attack your business. Some people are called to, 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 I mean, to send missionaries all over the world, called to like be people that God's using as a, as a channel of supply. That's why God gave him a business. That's why God put him where he put him. But you know what? He's gonna, first, he's going to attack you right where you need to be, right where you're called to, right where you are gifted in. That's the area. That's the point he's going to hit you at. Some of you are such, such, uh, you know, just, just deeply caring, loving people that God gave you that to, to, to be that to the body, to go and say, I'm that person that goes and, and, I, and I pray for people when they need to be prayed for. I'm, I'm interceding for them at home. I'm thinking about them. I'm bringing them before the Lord. You're fighting a battle nobody sees. Well, how is he going to attack that? The enemy starts lying to you and says, well, nobody cares that you care. You're doing all this. You're doing all this and nobody knows it. In fact, they don't care. You could stop and they wouldn't even notice. And you start saying, well, why should I care? Why should I be praying for them? You know what? That's right. Nobody cares that I care. I mean, nobody. So he's attacking you in the very area you're called 
And pretty soon you just give it up and say, you start getting bitter, you start getting offended. Because nobody's recognizing what you're doing. Or because, you know, somebody said something here that just hits you the wrong way. Because we're sensitive in those areas, aren't we? Whether we like to admit it or not, those areas where we are most gifted, those are the areas that are easiest to hurt us. And the enemy knows this, and he'll hit you in those areas. But if you'll just put it and say, you know what, it's not, it's not me. It's Jesus. He called me. By the grace of God, I am who I am. You can't take that away. Devil can't take that away. And I'm certainly not going to give it up. I'm going to fight a good fight. He's going to, so because the enemy is going to attack you in, in, in these different areas. He's going to attack you in your calling altogether. At the very core of your identity, he's going to attack you there. What did he say to Timothy? Fight a good fight by these prophecies concerning you. So God said something about you, and you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to hold on to that and fight. When everything says, that's not who you are, you could never do that, you're going to have to say, yes, I am. Because God said so. And you'll have all the evidence to the contrary, and you say, but God said so. And you hold on to that. Then he's going to attack you in the, not, not just in the calling itself, but the gift that goes with that calling. He's going to attack you in that gift. And you're going to have to say, I'm not going to neglect the gift. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to stir it up. If it feels like there's nothing there, like I used to get up. Or Chance, I'll, I'll call you up because I remember Chance said something to me. He said, you know, when I first got saved, I wanted to hug everybody in the church. <laughs> just had a gift of love. Just, just that, that. He said there was a love inside of me. He said, but when I started kind of like, you know, not getting into the word, not getting into the present, correct me if I get this wrong, Chance. He said, I didn't, I wanted my space. I didn't want to be, I really just, you know, I didn't really want to spend a lot of time with people. What, what was that? Well, it's, 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 it was the enemy trying to steal it. Well, of course, chance recognized it. When you recognize it, you can go back and seize it, you know, and I believe that's exactly what you did. We have got to recognize these things and say, that's not okay. It's not okay. I'm not going to let the enemy take this from me. I'm not going to let the lies that I think people are saying about me manipulate me and keep me from doing what I'm called to do. I'm not letting the lies of the devil. Listen to this. We all know the scripture. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But who's the him? It's Satan. But do you know the verses that come before it? He's a dragon. And it says, he's been overthrown, the accuser of our brethren who accuses them day and night. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The serpent in the garden, by the end of the story, has become a dragon. And his method is accusation. So he'll bring accusation against you. Sometimes nobody ever said it, but you think it. How do you overcome that accusation? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. So the blood of the Lamb says, I am who Jesus says I am. I've been covered, I've been cleansed, I've been sanctified, I've been made righteous. So I can do this because I'm righteous. I can do this because I'm his. And the word of your testimony, your testimony is not just your story. Your testimony is what you bear witness to with your mouth. And I want to tell you something. If you're fighting that battle at home where you're questioning what you're supposed to be doing and you're, you're dealing with all this in your head, let me tell you what I used to do as a teenager. As a teenager, I'd have these battles within my head and inside my head, because I don't want to say anything in front of people, inside my head, I'd say, no, I, I, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. 
But I never said anything out loud. I just, no, stop lying to me, devil. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And I'm saying that in my head. It took me way too long to figure out Satan can't read my thoughts. Doesn't matter how hard you squint and clench your fists. <laughs> he can't read your thoughts. And you know what the Bible tells us? Jesus did not go into the wilderness, get tempted, and, and think to himself, it is written. He said it. That's how you confront the accuser. You say it. This is how God confronted him when, Zechari- when Joshua, the high priest in the book of Zechariah, stood on behalf of Israel, and he's filthy, and he's wearing dirty clothes, and Satan stands and immediately begins to accuse him. God says, the Lord rebuke you. Isn't this the one I chose? Isn't this a brand I plucked from the fire? You stop talking about him this way. And then God puts clean clothes on him, puts a ring on his finger, puts a turban on his head. And says, as long as you walk in my ways, you'll have access to these angels here. Then he moves on to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the guy that's supposed to rebuild the temple. For these people have come back from captivity. Their homeland has been decimated. The temple's been busted down. Zerubbabel says, I'm going to rebuild it. God called me to rebuild it. And people mock him and say, how could you rebuild it? Look how far you've got. You're not doing anything. Because we get fired up when God speaks to us, don't we? That first fundraiser, everybody's on board. Everybody's saying, yeah, praise the Lord. But about a year and a half into it, you're like, oh, I thought it'd be done by now. Zerubbabel's about to give up, and God points his attention to this fountain. And it's got oil running into it. Oil symbolizing the anointing of the Spirit of God. It's got seven spouts. Seven being that number of completion. Like, you don't need anything else. This is perfect. It's everything you need. It's got seven eyes, so it sees everything, knows everything. And he says, you see this? You know what this is? And he goes, like, how am I supposed to know what that is? Honestly, guys, if you saw a fountain with seven spouts and seven eyes, would you go, yeah, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> if you are, you're lying to God, and that's a dumb move. He says, you know what this is? And he explains it to him. And he says, Zerubbabel, it is not by might. Nor it is by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And his point with the oil was this. What you've been called to do, there is exactly enough of the Spirit of God to get that done. Amen. There's more than enough. Amen. You have the anointing to get it done. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's by my spirit. And he says, Zerubbabel, you will finish you will put the capstone, which was the last stone you'd ever put on a building. You will put the capstone in place with shouts of grace, grace to it. Some of us, we need to hear that. Because we started something with some fire. But those gifts have been neglected. They've been neglected for lack of use. Or they were neglected because you felt intimidated. What does he go on and say in chapter 4? He says, kindle afresh the gift, for God has not given you a spirit of timidity. Maybe you learned that scripture as a spirit of fear, and that's not wrong. But fear in the New Testament is is always the Greek word phobos. There's another type of fear, which is a reverence, which is a different word, but almost always it's phobos. But this is a different word that only appears in this verse. And it's a word for timidity or cowardice. It has to do with your fear of people being intimidated. And this is the last thing I want to say before we close this morning. So hang with me. But many of us give up what God called us to do out of intimidation. 
Now, two things Paul talks to Timothy about. He talks about his intimidation, about what his own church people think about him, and he talks about being ashamed of the gospel and of Paul and what would happen if the world heard him doing what he's, or saying what he's supposed to say because he'd be afraid of being thrown in prison or executed or anything like that. So the two things you got to deal with intimidation are what you think church people think about you and what you think the world thinks about you. And you got to get over both of them. And the biggest thing is that you get over what you think about yourself. And start saying what the Lord says. God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity. To be intimidated means that you're, you're, you're just scared out of your own calling. You're scared out of your own gifting. He can intimidate you and get you to lay it down and step back because you're just too afraid. But it's time to step up. It's time to step up and not be afraid of the world. There's some people I know that are so afraid of persecution. I almost want to say to them, why are you afraid of persecution? Every time it comes close, you take a step back. You'll never be persecuted because every time the world starts to disagree with you, you compromise again. Now, I wouldn't say that to you because I want to be nice to you. <laughs> but the church of North America is going to hit a point where we stand our ground and we either betray the cultural identity that they've placed on us or we betray our Savior. And we're going to have to pick which one. Barring some radical shift in society, which can happen through revival. But if it goes the way it's going right now, there's going to be a point where there's just, we will not be acceptable. And we're going to have to pick if we're going to be ashamed of that. Don't be intimidated because God has not given you a spirit of timidity. So today, I mean, we'll have to dig into this more, but I just want to encourage you today to fight for the things that God put inside you. Fight for the things God said over you and to you. Fight for them. Fight for the gifts within you. Fight. Wage warfare. How are you going to fight? You need to fight on the level of that calling, who you are, your identity. You're going to have to fight for those gifts. Don't neglect them. Kindle them afresh. You're going to have to fight in the area God called you and the office you're walking in. Because there's going to be things that take you away. And it might just be all the enemy's got to do is offer you a promotion. You'll take it, and you just won't have time for the things of God. Or he just plants a little seed of doubt or one stray word that somebody says that throws you off course. Either way, that's going to be an issue. The other thing that he talks about is the shipwreck of your faith. Getting off course and getting into weird little things. He tells Timothy, stop getting into these little pet doctrines that you get into, that, uh, that people get into. Stop, stop getting into dumb arguments over nothing. Focus on what you're called to do. Don't be distracted. Don't be put off course. Keep your eye on the prize. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand up together and let's just worship the Lord.